and you're back to One Non-Blonde, and I'm your host, Kim, and today I've got my friend, Larry Hankin, again. Hey, Larry, how are you doing? How are you doing? I'm doing fine, uh, actually. I, under the circumstances, <laughs> I'm doing great. I know. I, I got gray hair. When I go out, I'm, I'm trying to save my life. It's, <laughs> it's, it's really weird, uh, you know. I, sit, I, I live in a city of, of thieves. Everybody has a mask on. I know. You can, it's, you can be instantly robbed by nobody. Oh, it's just a COVID virus thing. <laughs> I know. The other day, somebody came into my office, and I was like, oh, is this your To the lady, and I said, oh, is this your son? She goes, you met him before? He was here? I'm like, oh, well, I didn't recognize him with the mask on. <laughs> exactly, man. Oh, except somebody, I went to the supermarket, you know, uh, the other day to get supplies. Now you don't go shopping, you get supplies. It's a whole different thing. Like zombie accomplice. Uh, accomplice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was wearing my, I, I wear a mask and I wear gloves. And I had, I, I don't, I took my dark glasses off, but when I'm outside, because my eyes are sensitive, I, but somebody recognized me in, in black gloves, a black jacket, and a mask. And oh, we love your work. Great, man. <laughs> That's amazing. Cool. So it's, it, you know, yeah. Your eyes tell a story, apparently, right? I, I, I get, I mean, because I can never do that. I have no recognition quality. If I met you, Kim, uh, on the street, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know you. I mean, even if you didn't have a, a mask on, you would have to give me, I only remember you in context. I, I remember faces in context. So if I met you on a set, I'll remember you if you're on a set. But in the street, no. But some people, I've always wondered how people, um, you know, they recognize, you know, Four Points Bulletin, this man is wanted. And they recognize, they say, yeah, I saw him in, in the 7-Eleven. In the I couldn't do that. Do that. Man? I couldn't do that either. Uh, can you do that? You. No, I'm, a, I'm the same as you. I have, I work with somebody who knew, I mean, he would go places and all of a sudden be like, I know that person. I'm like, I wish I could do that. I, I'll look at somebody and say, I might know that person, but then I'm like, so second guessing, like you said, if, if I think of the context, then I'm like, oh yeah, maybe I met him there, but it's hard for me. And sometimes, isn't it the worst yeah. when somebody comes up to you and starts talking to you, like you should be like BFFs and you're like, who is this person? <laughs> well, the fans do that, but sometimes it's reversed. They come up to me and they go, um, I, I know you, I, are you the, uh, you, you married my cousin, right? You're the, <laughs> you're my butcher. You're my butcher. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, but they, well, I was in their living room, so it must have been that. You came over the house for the birthday party, right? You're the cousin, but no, no. <laughs> but thank you for making the attempt. Okay, cool. Yeah. You I want know. an autograph? No, not for my cousin. No, not for <laughs> I know, because you've been in so many iconic roles. I mean, you can't even say movie or TV because you've been pretty much everywhere. And so, so yeah, like said, really somebody's got to see you somewhere, you know, so it's got to be. Oh, hard. oh, yeah. And, and because I'm not there long enough, it's just, okay, it's a familiar face, you know. Mm -hmm. that's, like a uh, fleeting because... memory. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fleeting <laughs> memory, yeah. Luckily, there's enough thousand fleeting memories I make one image, you know, maybe. <laughs> but but uh, we were talking be before about, you know, recognition and, and, uh, asked and, and being interviewed and the same questions and stuff. Yeah, let's go so, into that. <laughs> I was talking to my, my friend, my, one of my, my BFFs, 
Uh, one of my friends is uh, Carl Gottlieb, who wrote, you know, Jaws and all the Jaws movies and Richard Pryor's movies. And he, he's, he's a cool guy. Uh, and he just knows a, a lot of stuff. Uh, so uh, we were talking about the, this recognition thing because he gets, he, see, he's not recognizable as me because he's a writer. Mm -hmm. But his name gets on, you know, the, the screen. So they recognize his name. So he's way, he, he's incredibly famous all over the world. Name, not not visual. Face, yeah. So I was, you know, we, I was talking about, you know, people asking the same questions. We were at, talking about interviews. And he gets the same thing that I do or all actors do or all famous. You get the same questions from the same people. So he was saying when he wrote Jaws, he was talking to... Um, Later on, he was talking to uh, Spielberg, and they got to talking about interviews and questions and the interviewers. And he and Spielberg, when he was famous in the Wunderkind of Hollywood, he was introduced to Federico Fellini, which was his Spielberg's, you know, God, his hero. Mm -hmm. But he didn't know what to say. He know Spielberg was nervous talking to Fellini. He didn't know what to say. Um, so all he could think of was, he said to Fellini, you know, I've read all your interviews and, and all your intros are mostly different. So, so I don't know anything about you. What, you know, what's, what, what's the real interview or why do you do that? Or how does it get to be so many different things? He said, well, you know, if you're being interviewed as much as I am or, you know, very famous people are, the questions become the same, the same questions over and over again for years. So what I do is if I, I get bored with the answers because I've given this answer so many times, but if I get bored with the answer, the interviewer gets bored with the interview. So the interview starts going to the toilet, you know? And so when you read it, it's just a boring interview, you know? So what he does is he says, you know, just to spice it up, he makes stuff up. And it, it makes for a much better, more interesting interview. It keeps the uh, interviewer interested. It keeps him interested. And it keeps the reader interested. So he does it. And he's not afraid to say that. That, no, I'm making this stuff up for you. You know, it's show business. I get bored with all this. I'm a, I'm a creative person, so I can create. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm creating, you know. So there was a, a great, you know, like nonsensical, pataphysical logic to it, you know, just a weird logic that makes sense, you know. It's just, uh, I, I get it. But so, you know, this may be a true interview. Or maybe No, I mean, the stories that I tell about Hollywood, about others, were like, you know, what's it like to work with Clint Eastwood? No. That's always interesting to me because of the way it went down. It's so obscure and not the ordinary Hollywood story, you know, but I mean, everybody thinks Hollywood is just, you know, the red carpet and, and the Academy Awards. And it's not anything like that. That is so not what making movies is, is all about. Making movies is just, solving problems or getting into trouble or, you know, waiting for the rain to stop. I, I mean, it, it just has nothing to do with clothing or makeup or who are you or where did you come from or how'd you get in show business or, you know, it's, I got to memorize these lines and I'm up in two minutes, you know, they're going to shoot me in two minutes and I still have my, my part down. I mean, that's Hollywood to me, you know, anyway, or, or getting into, or getting into arguments on the set, you know, hey, you know, what's going, 
So it's just really different. So, so the stories I tell about Hollywood are, are pretty true because every time I tell them, they're just as interesting to me as when I was in it, only frightened. You know, oh my God, I'm going to get fired. When I tell that story about me getting fired, it interests me because, you know, I'm thinking, where was my mind during this whole thing? Didn't you see this coming, Larry? <laughs> you know, this, this probably, I saw it coming while, while you were telling the story. I saw, no, Larry, don't say that. I know what you're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, so you know. Now that you're really established, I mean, you know, you've been around the block a few times. Yeah, I have. A few, just a few. Um, just a few. Just a few. Do you feel like you're still worried about getting fired? Oh, no, I don't, I never, <laughs> I am never worried yeah. about getting fired. I'm always thinking that I am going to be fired. Fired, yeah. That's, that's my go-to. Yeah. <laughs> I suddenly realize I'm in a situation where I can, I can, I got 50-50 chance of doing the right thing right here, right now. And 50-50 is 50-50, man. You get it wrong 50% of the time. And my go-to is, okay, I'm going to get fired. And I just zen out. And I just wait for the dance to stop until they say, uh, okay, I'm sorry, Larry, you, you're going to have to leave. Bye. It has only <laughs> happened once in my entire life. So every time, so it's more of a paranoia. It's an act. I think maybe it's an actor's paranoia. And the way I deal with it is I say to myself, I, I did this on the set of uh, Breaking Bad. I, I was in this situation where I couldn't memorize the lines. I mean, I just couldn't, but I wouldn't cop to it. I would, you know, I wouldn't say, you know, I, I just, is anything, is anything the matter, Larry? No, no, it's fine. Everything's fine. Are you, you ready to shoot the, the scene now? Yeah, yeah, let's go. I mean, because I, said, I can't memorize the lines, so inevitably I'm going to get fired. They're going to have to get somebody to do this. So I'm fired, so okay, let's stop with the dance and asking me if I'm all right. Just say, hey, Larry, you know, you're fired. And even after I, improvised it a long speech i improvised and it was a law speech even after then when he, when i go and the, and the script lady comes up to me and uh, she said uh, well she showed me the page every time you miss a line or, or a word she'll circle it <laughs> and uh show it to, yeah uh, but generally so i'm used to that because all all actors you know miss a line or, or a word you know so she'll come up and the words and say you know you have to say this word the, the, the writer wants you to say that word or yeah you, you left out this sentence you have, you have to say that sentence yeah. okay fine cool so when she sh showed it to me the entire page was circled i had made it up i had just i was a, i knew that i was improvising well improvising i was making it up yeah and <laughs> They call it improvised. But the director never said anything. So I thought I was going to get fired and he's just waiting for the right time. So I, in my mind, I said, why don't we stop this dance and just fire me? But I'm not going to cop to it. If, if, if you just keep talking to me, I'm going to just sit here until, until you say fired. But the weird thing was that I had improvised so much. He had me do, do it twice and he never said, you know, you're saying it all wrong. He never said that. He just said, do it again. Like, he's going to give me another chance. Okay. <laughs> okay. And I did it again, and I just made it up again. <laughs> and then he just said, thank you very much. You know, Larry's dismissed, because that was my last shot of the day. And, you know, a little applause, because you always get that, you know. And no matter who you are, you're an extra, you're an actor. Hey, there's applause, you know. I went home, I couldn't make it up. What, what he had 
and he had didn't tell me see i was I had a whole thing in my mind i'm going to get fired I'm, I'm just a stand-up comedian i don't need this bullshit that's what's going through my head what's going through his head is this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's saying i wrote these lines and he has no idea what he's saying but his improvisation is so interesting because i was improvising legalese mm -hmm. that he said do it again and i'm going to see if i can cobble together what i need out of his improvisation which he did and he knew from i i say this when i'm telling the story i say he knew i he had me do it twice a long page speech a, a full page from the time from the time that i said the about the third or fourth sentence as i was walking and talking towards the camera i'm going to do it in one take but about my fourth or fifth step he knew this guy does not know what the fuck he's saying. He, I, he, he had to know that. He wrote the... the, the he wrote the it. <laughs> so, yeah. He wrote it. But he didn't say anything. He let it go because I guess he said, well, he's saying things that keeps the cop out of the Winnebago. So let, let's, let's just see. Because obviously, here's the other thing which saved me. I never thought about it this way, but... Yeah, it would cost so much money and so much time to replace me by getting another guy. Because we were in the middle of the desert, man. Yeah. It's like an hour from the base camp to the middle of the desert where that junkyard was. To get, it would be another full day. So they would have to shut down that whole scene and do it tomorrow and get another actor. So we figured, and rightly so, that's the great thing about that I discovered, a light bulb went on in my head when I finally watched the show and realized what they had done. Oh, he just used what I gave him, cobbled it together, and it fit what he needed to keep the cop out of the Winnebago. And that was really great. And when I didn't say the right thing, or it didn't fit, or he had to make a jump cut to, to the next important thing that they said, he would cut into the Winnebago or to the cop. So it was a... Nobody knew when I watched the scene, I asked my friends, I said, what, um, what did you see? Because, you know, I said, well, you were walking and talking and keeping the cop out of the Winnebago. He said, what, what, who was, the, who was the, the lead in the scene? Who, who, who was the, on the most time? Well, you were because you were talking and you were walking. And... No, I was on, I timed it, uh, 15 seconds. He cut to me for two or three seconds, enough to me for me to get one right word out, or one, one sentence out, either improvised or somehow I memorized one line for two seconds. And then he would cut to them and cut back to them and cut back to them. And then for me, another line. And so I, I had five cuts to me each for about two and a half seconds. So that's the entire time I was on for a scene that ran, I don't know, two, two, two minutes maybe. But the editing was movies is magic. It seemed as though I was walking and talking. Not at all. Not at all. I, I was the least on, on screen of all the three, four characters in the scene. So movies is magic. And he knew that immediately. He never copped to it like I never copped to the fact that I didn't have it memorized. So we're both two different agendas, but the same goal. You know, let's just get this scene done and move on. <laughs> that's, that's all. You know, as cheap as possible. Let's just keep going. And I thought it was great. You know, even though I was in the scene less than I, I thought I would be, it turned out fine, you know. So Yeah, but I'll, you became a you became like one of the staples, you know. It's like when you think of Breaking Bad, you yeah. think of you think of that character. 
Yeah, because I'd also had one scene before that, you know, with uh, Brian in, in the Winnebago when he sold it to me, and I did that well. So, uh, you know, and, and for some reason, which I've never figured out, um, I, I just, uh, I, I project if I'm on screen, you, you, you notice me. Mm -hmm. you, you'll, oh, yeah. you'll, you'll remember my, you know, oh yeah, you were in that scene. Even if I don't, don't say anything somehow, but that has nothing to do with me. That, that has something to do with, you know, my lineage, my DNA. I, I, I don't control that. I, I just memorize my line and try to t help tell the story. That, that's what I'm there for. Yeah, but so you I'm have, lucky. there's something about you. And again, like you said, it's just, it's your aura. It's what you are, who you yeah. are. You can't miss you on a screen, you know? Uh, yeah, so even though I'm, I'm on screen for less time, I get more fans out of it. I get, you know, per, per second on screen. I, get, I don't know how they measure that. You gotta bottle that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. But the, the, the weird thing was when I was a little baby, the relatives, you know, and I, this, I don't remember much because uh, my family life was just horrible, but mm -hmm. the relatives are saying, oh, what a, what a, I don't know what the Jewish word for nice is, but punim is face mm. in, in, in Jewish, in Yiddish, punim. But they were always complimenting me on my face. Not that I, I you know, I've seen baby pictures. It, it looks like a baby. That, that's all. I don't know. But it, for them, oh, what a, what a wonderful face. You know, you should be in movies. They were saying this at like, you know, three and four and five. And then I, I grew up to be, you know, just a terrible teenager. And, uh, you know, and then an adult. And I just was a stand-up comic. And then later on, as I got into movies, when I was in my like 30s, I didn't get into movies until I was like 30. Um, all of a sudden, all the relatives were right. Here I am. They're, yeah. Because the cinematographers used to tell me this. Uh, when, I was, when I started, you know, they stopped telling it to me after a while. <laughs> but they would say, there's something about your bone structure where the, the light, you have a good face for, for, for lighting. Or even, even now, I'm, I'm looking at my image, the shadows and stuff. Oh, it's great. That, that makes it interesting. Yeah, it makes it interesting. Well, I have nothing to do with that, man. That's, it's, it's, you know... Yeah, the DNA, good genetics. Bone structure, you know, yes, yeah. genetic, I don't know. I know. So I, I, lucked, I lucked out. But but they saw it, you know, when I was a little kid. Yeah. Go figure. Go figure what makes a star. I you know. know, I well, know. Well, recognizable. I'm not a star, but a recognizable. Whatever, you know. You're a star, baby. You're a star. What can I say? I don't know if I want to be a star. I would like to just make a living doing what's in my head. That, that's where I'm going next. That, there that's you go. That's why I told that this is all about your head. <laughs> it's all about me. <laughs> it's all about it's, you. It's Larry. about me. It's, it's all, all about, about me. you. It's so. all about you, baby. <laughs> cool, but you know, getting to that place where they allow you to be all about me, you need other people to make it all about you. It's. Uh, Really weird, uh, that, that thing. I did a, a film short, which I wrote with Carl, as a matter of fact. Uh, my friend who the, with the uh, Jaws. Um, and uh, yeah, it was all about how uh, being an independent filmmaker means you have to have a lot of friends. There's no such thing as independence in filmmaking. Independent, it's, you know, you are, it's such a, what, a cumulative, a, a, a collaborative. Mm -hmm. a collaborative art form that it it's just 
And, and I think luckily so. I mean, the, the camera has saved me or the editor has saved me millions of times and other actors. You know, they m make your, they make you good. I don't think you can be bad um, in a movie because if you're really bad, they just don't put you into the movie. You, they cut you out. You're now out. that's sad, but it's not bad because you weren't bad in the movie. That, that was the, the secret that I think a lot of filmmakers, me, had to learn the hard way is the audience doesn't know what's not in the movie. That's such a, I don't know, a weird concept to get your head around, but it's totally true. Because you don't want to, you know, you're cutting, you're killing your children, you know, your creative mm -hmm. work. You have to edit it out. Yeah, but that's such a great, oh man, that's such a great, when I worked, when I edited with a cinematographer, no, that's a great shot. Yeah, but it doesn't tell the story. Mm -hmm. I know, but it's a great shot. Yeah, but it doesn't tell the story. And you would go on and argue. No, but I need that shot in the movie, man. Yeah, but it doesn't tell us, you know. <laughs> so the same thing, I'm, I'm awful. Yeah, well, we're taking that out. <laughs> You're not going to oh. be in this scene. I love that. It's like, really awful. When, it, uh, <laughs> when an actress or an actor says, oh, yeah, some of my best scenes were on the cutting room floor. And like, you're thinking, right, yeah. maybe they weren't that great of a scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. And I'm just thanking the editor. Just you know, thank you, man. Oh, that was so cool. Now, here's something I learned, a, a trick. For all you actors out there or wannabe actors, here's the secret to success about being bad, you know, when you know you're being bad and they're filming it. Um, I, I forgot the actor's name, star, uh, an actual star. Uh, he played uh, Garner, Jeff uh, Garner, you know. James he Garner? He played that Western. What? James, James Garner? Garner. Yeah. He told me this. So I'm doing a scene with James Garner back when he was doing scenes, uh, his TV show, Black and White. And so I was a kid. So I'm doing a scene with him. It's just me and him. And in the middle of the scene, it's a long scene. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. And about a quarter of the way through it, he's going blah, 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 blah. And he just walked out of the scene. It's just been blah, blah. And nobody said anything. No, you know, okay. He walks, he walks around the camera and he comes back in and he starts, you know, the begin, beginning of the scene. He goes, okay, I'm ready. Actor says, you know, uh, the director says, go. And so we did the scene. I, after, and then, okay, moving on. Scene's over. So I went over to him and I said, hey, what was that all about, man? I mean, what did you do? You just walked out of the scene, man. You didn't even like step out of the cab. You just walked away. You walked into the dark. You walked around the camera and you came back. What the fuck was that? And nobody said anything. He said, he said, Larry, I learned this a long time ago. If you're being bad, if you feel you're being bad in the scene, you're not, you're not in the zone. You're not doing the job. If you finish the scene, they don't give a fuck, Larry. If it suits the story, you're in it. Mm -hmm. They care about the story more than they care about you and your fans. So if you're feeling bad about a scene, get the fuck out of there, man, because they'll use it. If you're, on, if, if you're in the camera frame, they're going to use it. So that's why I walked out. I wasn't feeling good about it. I just walked up. So I thought, okay, lesson learned. Great idea. Great. Because a lot of times I don't feel right, but you know. So the next chance I had, I did that. 
you know, I was in the scene with somebody else. Um, I've done it twice in my life. I had two different stories. But this one was, wasn't a, a, a great big star. It was just maybe an equal actor. I don't know. But I'm going, blah, blah, blah. I didn't feel right. You know, blah, blah, blah. Boom, stop, walk out, walked around the camera. I, you know, I did a James Garner. <laughs> Boom. And I go, okay. And everybody did a brick. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, what the hell did you do? You said, no, you know, you're not walking, but you're not, we're on the clock here. What the hell? Whoa. So I go, okay, man. Okay. Sorry. I just, I didn't feel right. What do you mean? You didn't feel right? And it just, they went off. <laughs> I'm the director. I'll let you know if you feel right. Uh, yeah. So I thought, oh, I get it. You also have to be a star, star. and a producer of the show. To do that. <laughs> to do that. Yeah. Okay. But when I had the lead in the, in the scene, at least, um, I did it another time and they got it immediately. I walked out of the scene. I did a James Garner, walked around, came back. Said, okay. I'm okay. And nobody said anything. They, they, uh, they understood. <laughs> But I never did it again because I mean it, it is it is rude. I mean, generally what what I'll do, and I, man, I understand now the whole thing. It's 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 mortgages. We're in this for my mortgage, Larry. You understand? I got a mortgage. I got to pay. You know, don't screw up because I'm paying my mortgage, and everybody has a mortgage in Hollywood on a big house yeah so that's the bottom line when you're on the set when you're up when you're on the floor that's what they call the set when you're on the floor in front of the camera everybody's mortgage is on the line and that's how the coronavirus or not that's how it is so once you, once you get that in your mind okay then, then you can get on with your life and your business so it's really weird I, I don't know there's one other thing about can I just I'm going on here. Do you, you That's what you're here for. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the, the same thing happened in another wholly different way, which you can't see. You can't predict. You can't predict stars. They're, they're like, a, you know, whatever you call it, a wild card. Uh, even when they're talented, even when they're famous and great and, and, and geniuses. I was in a, at the movie, okay, Escape from Alcatraz. And I noticed uh, a, a habit. I, I was on this film for three months. So I saw the whole thing and I started to see patterns happening, relationships. And I saw the relationship between Don Siegel and Clint Eastwood was a father to son. But a really good, Don Siegel was teaching on Escape from Alcatraz, as he did on many movies that they worked together on. Don Siegel was teaching Clint Eastwood how to, how to direct which is why you see Don, uh, Clint Eastwood making all these really groovy movies. He's a yeah, great he's director. He's amazing, yeah. But he learned it from Don, and I was there when, when he was learning, and I was even, uh, I always, I never went in my, my dressing room. I always stayed next to the camera. That I, for three months, that's, I never left the set. Uh, it was just amazing. So I, I would see that even when I was in the scene, Don would leave the camera, and he would walk over to Clint and he would say, how is that for you? He would always, just at a matter of course and respect, he would always do that, even though he was teaching Clint these ways, how's that for you? And Clint would always say, uh, I'm okay, I, I'm good. And he said, okay, moving on. 
Clint doesn't like to do um, another uh, take. He only likes to do one take. If you want to do another take, if you're a director, um, you have to explain to him why. Even when Don Siegel would come over, he says, how is that for you? Uh, Clint said, only twice in three months. He only said it twice. Um, I'd like to do another one. Okay. And he said, all right, fine, let's do another one. Boom, do another one. He would still come up to him and say, you know, how is that for you? He said, that, that, that's, that's okay. You know, I'm moving on. Okay. Then um, one time, and the, and the only other time would be when uh, Don Siegel would come up to him and say, I'd like to do another take. And Clint would say, why? He'd say, well, because the camera jiggled or it went off the dolly or, or it's, it's a technical thing or one of the lights blew. And then you say, fine, okay, let's do it. But that was the only excuse. Okay, so I'm in the scene and um, I, I see this habit. He comes up, how's, and they would always, they would always ignore me like I wasn't there. It was just between them two. He would never even, Don Siegel would never even look at me, nor Clint. He would just, I'm standing over here with blah, blah, blah. How was that for you? That was fine. Or let's do it again. Or okay, there was a jiggle. Okay, fine. Let's do it again. And I was kind of going, hey, man, I'm here. I'm an actor. He's an actor. I'm an actor. You're a director. Let's talk to me. So I thought I would speak up. <laughs> so I thought it was innocent, you know. So he, he did blah, 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 blah. He comes up to Clint Eastwood and he goes, you know, how's that for you? Clint says, that was fine. I pipe up. Well, I'd like to do it again because I could do it better. Who are you? And all of a sudden they discovered, <laughs> yeah, they all of a sudden, there's another actor here? You're in the scene? Oh, really? <laughs> so Clint just looked at me like there's a sign that I could do it better. And Clint just looked at me and said, well, I can't. And he walked away. I thought, okay, wow. It's not about you, Larry. <laughs> Whoa, it's not about me, man. But see, now Whoa. I'm letting it be all about you. <laughs> yeah, but at certain places, you know, yeah. oh, it's not about me? What the hell? But I was so insulted. I look, I have an attitude problem, so I don't take it like, like you might or somebody else. I got incensed, man. I didn't say anything because this was like new territory. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, you can't do it? All right. So all was in my mind is, I'm going to get you back. That was all I was thinking was, all right, you insulted me in front of everybody. Every, the crew left. You know, oh, oh, they walked away. You know, hey, Larry. <laughs> so um, I, I was just waiting. Three days later, and, and as I'm going to think, we were doing this for two months. So I saw this ritual, and all of a sudden, me, and then boom. So three days later, he's always doing the same thing every day, every day. And then he comes up to me. I'm in the scene three days later. And he comes up and he says, how is that for you, um, Clint? And Clint said the exact same words. That's what turned me on to now is my chance. <laughs> because Clint said to Don Siegel, and, and I'm still there. He says, um, um, I'd like to do it again because I could do it better. And I just said, well, I can't. And I walked away. I love it. <laughs> no, I mean, well, you there's haven't... silence on the set. When, when he, when Clint walked away, there was silence. And then there was a laughter. When I walked away, now we were on tier C. So it wasn't like I could just walk away into the darkness of the, the soundstage. Or, or, or we were on Alcatraz or the, the room. We were on tier C. The only way off was a hundred feet down the tier to the door on the, on the level. 
And I was walking away and there's dead silence behind me and I got a hundred feet to go. And I'm going, oh fuck, I'm fired. Okay, I'm a stand, no, no, I'm, uh, yeah. Uh, for about, about 10 feet, the silence was, you know, holy shit, but then I said, okay, I'm fired. I'm not turning around, I'm getting to that door. And as I'm walking and saying, okay, I'm fired. I'm a stand-up comedian, I don't need this shit. And I'm going and, and the door is getting further and further away. It's just, I'm trying to get to the door, man. And this silence is deafening, man. And I get about 20 feet away from the door, finally, thank God. And I hear Clint just break up laughing. Hey, Larry, come on back. Jesus. <laughs> Sensitive actor, man. Come on back. You know, okay, it's okay. <clears throat> so we were friends from then, from then on in. <laughs> that is so crazy. But, <laughs> but I would never do that again. I mean, <clears throat> knowing that it could go either way. I mean, I, then I was just incensed and I didn't care. Now I care. Yeah. Which is, a, which is a, a, not great. Not caring is such freedom, man. When I was uh the, the yeah it's just i didn't care and and so i could do whatever i wanted i would always do the right thing but every once in a while you know i i'm dyslexic and i have adhd that's why i misunderstand situations so i've been in a lot of trouble because i interpret what you said the other way whatever the uh, however you could take it you can take anything anybody says the wrong way so i would always have a 50 50 chance in normal things, not even in stressful times, just in normal conversation. And uh, so I, I've learned to, there, there are coping mechanisms there to deal with it and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm a little more on guard and not as free form as I used to, but still it, it happens, you know, and, uh, but that's my go-to, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a stand-up comedian. I don't need this. I don't you know. need this. Yeah, so because the, the worst thing is, see, here's the thing. I don't have a mortgage. I'm yeah. a single guy. No, I'm a single guy. I don't have a marriage. I don't have a child. Now, I'm not bragging. That's, you know, there's a yin and yang to everything. So, of you know, course, I've got pluses. Obviously. You've got pluses. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I am not, I don't have a mortgage. So if I'm fired, I don't have to worry about my kid. Man, if I had a kid, are you kidding? Uh, that that would be devastating. I mean, you know, I've lived with with a, a woman, uh, two women separately, you know, when they had children. So I've raised children. And you start to bond, even though they're not my child. You know, one was like two and three years old, you know. Mm -hmm. You start to, I didn't care about his mom. I mean, I care, but you know, no. I mean, the kid, you got to take over, kind of. Yeah. So yeah, I understand the mortgage thing, but I don't have one. So I understand the freedom of not having one and how it, how it gears your thinking. It really does. I mean, even the, even the rent, even if, you know, I've lived, I was homeless for a year. So I know what it's like to be homeless. I lived in my car in, in a, a Volkswagen VW, you know, those green and uh, those 1965 ones, that transportation bill. I lived in it for a year. So I can do it again, you know, but if I had a kid, no, you, so it's, I, I, it's a privilege, but you can't, you can't abuse it. You, you know, it's just, uh, but I under, I understand what's going on with the COVID thing and all these people who are unemployed and I'm sitting in my apartment here, rent, 
and thinking, oh my God, these people have families. Like, okay, here's what I heard. This is, this is not this is the, and just a, a humorous part of it, of the COVID thing. Um, I was, uh, there was a lady being interviewed about what's it like to be with COVID and family. So she says, well, we've been living in this new house. They had moved five years ago with her husband and her two kids to this new house. So it was a house from, a, from an apartment. And she says, and the COVID thing hit, but we've been living in this house for five years. And then all of a sudden we all had to, you know, we we're quarantined uh, and sequester in place. And she says, and I never knew this family before. It's like, I don't know these people. I mean, 24 <laughs> hours a day with my two kids and my husband. Said, it's, I don't know this family. We had to all re-meet and work it out. I thought that was a cool lady. At least she, she grokked up the whole big picture, you know. But yeah, that's what's going on. I think, you know, I have five kids. They're, they're grown now. But oh, wow. Well, there you go. But if I was hunkered down when they were little, when they were younger, yeah, yeah, you definitely would have to think about reinventing and getting to know each other because I think we fill ourselves with stuff, things to do, yes. activities, you know. So right. yeah, I know that my daughter likes to run and this one likes to draw and this one like, but you know, like when you're stuck at home and there's not those outlets, you have to now figure out who's in the room and how to kind of like make everybody happy. Yeah. <laughs> And can I be alone? And you yeah. know, get out of the bathroom. <laughs> Privacy. <laughs> yeah, I want to be alone. Yeah, and I'm I'm just alone, so I I think I got the the worst of it, you know, because I I would meet with people and friends and yeah. and go out and stuff, but even even that going out, I mean, you you can't I can't even go to a movie out there or or, or yeah, so it's. Uh, uh, very interesting times. May, oh, yeah. may you live in interesting times. Boy, have I lived in interesting effing times. Wow. Yeah. Could you give me, I know, because like, I know you started out as, as you mentioned before, a stand up comedian, and I know you've been homeless, but you've worked with some amazing, famous stand ups, and kind of like how oh. you guys kind of moved into from being underground comics to mainstream everybody knows your names um can you yeah. give us some of those stories you can your well i mean now. what specifically about you're talking about comedians and then they became or just, yeah, just your stories people. you know whatever you want to share well you know uh when i was in greenwich village as a as a, as a young man as a young kid as, as a very naive i i lived a very sequestered childhood uh against my will I would have to sneak out uh, of the house. Uh, I, I lived with very conservative, reactionary, middle-class family. They did. They weren't curious. No books. No. They just had uh, my learning in my house. About, I loved to read, so I buried myself in uh, Aesop's Fables, Grimm's Fairy Tale, the yeah, the Brothers Grimm, uh, Hans Christian Andersen. Uh, so those are the kind of stories. I had no contact with the outside world. I didn't know about the 60s. Uh, I went to Syracuse University. I studied as an industrial engineer. I was an A student, but I, and I didn't know what the world was like. And then I went to Greenwich Village with Carl Gottlieb because I met him in Syracuse. He said, hey, let's go to Greenwich Village. He wants to be a writer. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> I said, okay, well, 
I don't know what I want to do, so I'll just go and I'll just uh, wait tables. That was the, the cliche, I'll wait tables. I mean, not, not a, I didn't want to be an actor. All actors wait tables. I, that was not the thing. Um, I was supposed to go to Detroit and uh, design futuristic cars for General Motors uh, at a huge salary. But I, I just blew my mind. I know I can't do that. I met two of my friends, classmates, who are also A students. They went, they, they took the jobs designing cars. I met them five years later. One was an alcoholic and the other had a heart attack. Five years later, after going to college and had been divorced twice. So wow. I thought, I made a good choice. I went yeah. and I, I, I scrubbed uh, 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 duck boards in a bar after 2 a.m. from two until six in the morning. And I loved it. Again, I was alone. I could do what I want. I had the entire bar to myself. I was starving. I could go into the food locker and just, uh, Fill my, my pants in, in my belt buckle in my back. I always wore a raincoat to work. It was just like, I got Harpo Marx. I was thinking Harpo Marx. No, not, no, no, not that. I would never do that. I was you see sides of bacon slipped in my belt. Are you kidding? I had cans of food stuffed in the raincoat pockets. I was well, Harpo Marx. Every time he opened his coat, you know, knives and forks yeah, would, would fall down. Yeah, yeah, he was always stealing. He was a pickpocket. Yeah. Harper Marks was a pickpocket and he made it funny. Yes. So that's what I was doing until finally after two weeks I, I, I quit because I thought they were gonna start to see the larder was starting to go down, especially in the uh, fresh meat products. Bacon. <laughs> bacon. A lot of bacon. I of love bacon. bacon. <laughs> because it was a bar and grill. But so what I would do is I had all, all these and Carl would be reviewing movies and writing things, so his times are all filled. So I would go to the uh, coffee houses and, and watch uh, open mic nights, Sunday nights, Monday nights, Tuesday nights, and Wednesday nights, all around. So because, you know, you just buy a cup of coffee and you sit there the whole night. And okay, these weren't stars, but, you know, it was, uh, it was entertainment. You know, you could talk to people, blah, blah, blah. Then I got to know the waitresses. Uh, so, you know, uh, and I started to see, I was a funny guy in high school. I won funniest guy in high school two years in a row, junior and senior. I thought, well, I can do that. No, you can't, Larry. Um, I would get up on stage and it's not the same. It's not the same as just sitting here and talking with you and mm -hmm. okay, so you laugh once in a while or I tell a story, you tell them. No, man, I mean, but the thing about Monday night audiences that are great, they don't boo. I mean, they're polite because they know it's Monday night. It's open mic night. What are you going to boo? Where's your, where's your bottom line, man? I mean, come on. That's what these people are here to try stuff out, you know, to be, they're amateur. But if, if you're funny, they applaud or they laugh or they react. But if you're not good, they just don't react. And that's kind of kind. So, but I was getting no reactions for days and Monday nights at a time. Uh, so, because of my dyslexia, in other words, I don't get it. I, I, the, how, how does this work? You get on stage and you're trying to communicate with them and telling funny stories. And I was making it up. I was making up jokes. That didn't work. Uh, so when I started talking to them, that's when it started to learn. And within six months, I was opening for Woody Allen and Miles Davis. So I go, whoa, nice learning curve. Great. So, uh, yeah, but, but the Monday nights, I, I put in my time, man. You know, three or four months of just nothing. 
just nothing. And the only thing I could do is just like when I told Clint Eastwood, my, my mantra was after coming off the stage with no laughs, well, for four minutes, anybody can hold their own for four minutes. Come on. Okay. Nobody laughs for four minutes. You're not going to die. Come on. Uh, and I couldn't say, well, I'm a stand-up comedian. I don't need this. No, I'm trying to be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> yeah. I, I do need it. But I would say, no, I can do it better next week. It's like, I can do it better. That's the only, because I've heard recordings of me when I was learning. It's God, awful. I mean, it wasn't funny. It just wasn't funny. Okay. So, so, so I was, you know, with Woody Allen and I, you know, I opened for Miles Davis. And how, how was it with him? He was just as crazy as I was, but he's crazy in his way. Every, every, every star, every stand-up comedian, but it got into just any kind of stuff. It's crazy, man. You have to have that separation. Um, it's you see the world not through your eyes, but through uh, the, the, the cutaway, mm -hmm. the, 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 the second camera. It's you're watching you. And so when I was on the set, and, and why I'm doing podcasts now is because I was watching me talking to Clint Eastwood and saying, blah, blah, blah. So I was recording it. I, I wasn't in the emotional state of through my eyes where it was just being edited by my emotional state where, you know, oh, he's a, an asshole or blah, blah, blah. Or, no, I was just very calmly Zen, Zen like watching this the stupidity of what's going on and i can just tell it to you matter of factly which makes it funny if you get all ranted up it doesn't work you know it's just i guess that was what the key to telling your friends being funny with your friends there's nothing on the line you just you were here and if i'm not funny all right you take over you know so what did you do last night boom nothing's on the line, you know? Okay. You know, Hey, that's a stupid joke. Okay. You tell them. All right. Boom. But you know, you're on stage and you're opening for Woody Allen. You want to be good, you know? And then Miles Davis, I found out was uh, not in the dressing when I was on, he was watching me. That's kind of not, but yeah. Okay. So here's, here's the kind of the stupid Zen part. So one night I was in the cellar door and I was opening for Miles Davis and the cellar door is in Washington, D.C. It's a very Tony Bistro in Washington, D.C. A lot of famous people play there and a lot of politicians, famous politicians go there. So when Miles Davis was playing there and I was opening for him, I didn't know it, but I went on stage and, you know, good audience, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they're my people. They, they get it. They, they let me rant for a while and, and they get there the... the the, the cool jokes, my jokes they get. When I, so then I got off the stage, Miles Davis comes on, he plays. I was, uh, yeah, I was probably chatting up a barmaid or something. I don't know what I was doing, but I wasn't paying attention to Miles. And then uh, when he's right about to finish his last song, I said, hey, he's really doing a good show tonight. You know, he's really, the, the audience really loves it. He says, well, the president's in the audience. John Kennedy? He goes, yeah, his whole entourage. Bobby is here, Jackie is here. And he points it out and they're in the, in the center right up front. I didn't even notice them. I was on stage, you know, they were like over there. I go, Holy cow, man. So I didn't leave. I, I just said, now there's a tear 
you know, they, here's the floor and then you go up. So they you know, these, it's a dinner kind of thing. Uh -huh. So you can see there and then you're here. So I was, there's, there's a stairs right over here. So I was in the stairway kind of hiding and everybody cleared out of the room. And instead of them going in, cause there's too many people, just a small green room or dressing room. Miles came out and spoke to him. So there they are. This John Kennedy, his Jackie Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, uh, I don't know, Rose Kennedy, God, all the Kennedys, uh, and, and, and all the other famous, you know, hangers on. <laughs> you can say that about his entourage. His entourage. <laughs> I think he was the first president who really had a truly had a entourage that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> So it was about uh, 15 or 20 people and Miles is in the center and they were standing in the center of now an empty nightclub and they're all clustered around them. Now I had done in my, one of my bits in my standup was a thing I did about motorcycles because I had a motorcycle at the time, but it was only a, a 250 Honda, a little red rice burner, you know, you know, like that. So I was thinking that, you know, Hell's Angels are probably because in New York City, uh, all the uh, parking enforcement officers rode Vespas, little motorcycles, or Lamborghini, Lam Lambrettas. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, they're saying, and you know, when a motorcycle guy, heck, a Hell's Angels pulls up, you know, next to this, you know, he's got, you know, what is the cop thinking? You know, like, this dork. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm thinking maybe the motorcycle guys are really parking enforcement, New York parking enforcement officers that made it, you know, and finally a motorcycle, bam, bam. So I do, I do that as a long thing. Okay. So he's in the center of this and I'm, I'm in the shadows and the, just watching this and I'm going, and I'm even going, man, he's so cool that the president comes to see president John Kennedy and his entourage are circling him and he's in the center. And I'm just thinking that, wow, that's, that's famous. See, now that's famous. So I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, and I say, and he's shorter than everybody else. Miles is a kind of a, he's a boxer. He's very wiry, but he's short. And I'm looking and I see the top of his head and he's not, and he looks up and he sees me. He looks up like this and he goes. <laughs> <laughs> then he goes back down. And he's, Oh my gosh. That's so cool, man. You can't get cooler than that. Miles Davis quoted me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Miles Davis is in the mid talking to the president. He goes and goes back down. And the president didn't like look at what was what was that? Nobody <laughs> did that. Was, well, I guess Miles Davis likes to do that. Yep. <laughs> what was the president thinking when you so Miles Davis, that's cool. Miles Davis is that's very cool. I would never do that if, if I was talking to John Kennedy. I would never go, excuse me. Do you have a moment? Just a second. Hold that thought, John. Yeah. <laughs> Jackie, pardon my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, so that's, that's the other end of the, well, what's it like being with stars and, you know, working with them? It's great. It's just a trip, man. It's just a trip. I'm really excited because, you know, um, it was funny because my son was calling me when you were you and I were kind of in the middle of the texting slash calling each other this earlier. Oh. I said, excuse me, I got to take this call. It's Larry. 
<laughs> there you go. There you, there you go. I know I people. <laughs> you know, yeah, I got people. They take my call. Even when their kid, their kid, their own flesh and blood is bothering them. Larry, I got to take this call. I take this call. It's Larry. Yeah, yeah. So what, what's your kid's name? That was Josh. Josh. Was. Josh. Josh. Yeah. Talk to the hand. Yeah. He's actually, <laughs> he helps me with my uh, publishing and producing. He's, he's a school teacher. But he was like, hey, Mom, I'm in between Zoom meetings. Because, you know, with the coronavirus, as a teacher, oh, wow. he Zooms. So he has oh, to do. Wow. So each individual child, he has been doing a one-on-one -on -one Zoom exam. Like a one-on-one -on -one oral oh, exam. Oh, oh, right, right. Yeah. Well, that's kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, well, he's going to have to learn how to do that. You know, I mean, it's a tool, so you got to use it because of the coronavirus, blah, blah, blah. But I'm telling you, when, you know, when, when we go back, when coronavirus disappears, if it ever does, it's going to be a whole new lifestyle. Totally different. If everybody, if anybody in the mid Midwest thinks that, you know, they're going to go back to quote, unquote, normal. Whoa, are they going to be sadly disappointed? Oh my God. I mean, and, and then the other thing is electricity. We're dead without electricity. There's no other animal that relies on electricity. More than food, more than shelter. Oh, I know. If electricity went off, you know, our species would be gone in a couple of weeks. We'd be fighting and punching for, over everything, over, em, over empty cardboard boxes. No, I need that for, I don't know. Kindling. You know, for kindling, <laughs> for eating. For eating. I, need it. <laughs> I need it. Give me that box. I need some food. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, and Zoom. So your kid is learning well young about digital and stuff. But without yeah. electricity, we're shot. Oh, I know. It's like when the power goes out, you just freak out, no matter what. And see, now I live in Florida, so we get hurricanes a lot. So right. we, like when Irma came through, we didn't have power for almost 10 days, my house. Holy cow, what did you do? It was ridiculous. So um, we would- we It's had, ridiculous. Yeah, okay, it's ridiculous. Yeah, cool. No, no. <laughs> so what we would do is, um, and it's hot, because it's August, you know, it's August, yeah. September. So we kept the windows open, obviously, but we would just, I would grill outside. We would have to pretty much, we were done by like 7, 30, 8 o'clock at night because- Oh, no television? No oh television. No television, um, no, no stove, no air conditioning. Yeah. We, we did a lot of, um, we would take, uh, I would use the solar power um, lanterns and I would put them outside to charge during the day and then right, I'd bring them yeah. in the house at oh, night cool. so they would nice. kind of give me a little bit of light but we're talking very little bit of light and um we would just play some games and we, we were lucky our neighbor had a, a a generator and he would let us plug in some of our stuff so we would, <laughs> generators yeah but I, I have a funny story about the generator so we had we have a refrigerator and then um we would plug in a fan occasionally because it was so hot and so oh, right. So, but my husband, he would switch things around. So he would plug one thing in and he'd plug something else in so we can kind of like borrow the generating and keep things cool. Right. So we were sitting around watching, uh, we were playing dominoes. My two sons were at the house at the time and my husband comes in and he goes, why isn't the refrigerator working? I thought the generator was on. And then he looks and he goes, ah, 
who plugged in the vacuum? He plugged in the vacuum. He charged the <laughs> vacuum cleaner, but he didn't plug. So every once in a while, we were, we were all like, ah, who plugged in the vacuum? You did, Dad. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. But ice, ice for food to keep it. Oh, man. It was horrible. I mean, see, see here's, here's my, my, my theory is that we're, we're, I'm trying to get rid of this human being thing. It, that, that's human beings aren't a species that's a made-up we're a species and the species we are are homo sapiens like we're like cats and dogs and tigers and elephants and dodo birds we're species yeah that's the, the laugh is the key yeah. <laughs> i mean what you know we are I, I always pictured um like the earth nowadays as a nice bright shiny apple hanging in empty space and we are just like using it up. We're just like, you know, fresh water. We're, you know, we're running out of fresh water. I don't know if anybody knows that, heads up. We're running out of fresh water. Yeah, America. Yeah, we're running out of water. And uh, we're uh, poisoning the water. You know, there's a lot of mercury in a lot of the water. We're uh, using up all the fish in the sea. That's impossible. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is very possible. Yeah, we're losing. All so um, we're like the shiny apple. And you know, when an apple starts to rot, you know, that gray furry fuzz that grows on it? Yeah. So we are, Homo sapiens are the gray furry fuzz that's just disintegrating the apple of Earth. Just, we, we have no fucking idea. I mean, just like this brainless furry fuzz that, hey, Furry Fuzz, do you realize that what you're eating is your world? And that when you finish all this nutrition, it's really juicy, it's really healthy, it's really good. There will be a black hard core and you will die. And there will be just a black core and no furry gray fuzz. Did you know that? No, it, it, uh, it doesn't know that. We have yet to realize we're a species. So whatever we're doing, doesn't matter. Digital zoom stars stand up you know electricity that doesn't count when we use up everything when we have no more fish and and and, and all the you know the grass-fed animals it is no more grass because you know no more i just, i mean you see where i'm going it's I just see. ridiculous i see where you're going it's just, it's just you know it, it it's just uh, i give us 500 more years now here's my my mom solved the whole problem my mom, when she was, she, uh, she, had, she said, they are not using the good sense God gave them. It's like, we're smarter than this, people. We know we're acting stupid. It's not like we don't know what's going on. You know, you, you Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump, I, I know you're smarter than that. I know that. I mean, your greed is just getting in the way. But I know you're smarter than that. I mean, you won't use it. You refuse to use it. That's in incredible. And it works with your cronies. Dumbness works with your cronies. Greed works. <laughs> yeah, but only for a short time. <laughs> yeah, not even while you're president. But but it's, it's more than that. It's, it's the globe. It's every dictator in the world. Every No. Every alpha homo sapien. 
that that's where the problem is. Alpha Homo sapiens are not not cutting it. They're not getting the job done. So you know, oh, the governors, the governors. Yeah, when we go to war, we arm all the soldiers. Here, you get a gun, you get a gun, you get a gun. It's a war. Go win the war. You know, oh, here's a bulletproof vest. But when it's a war against a disease and it's women fighting it, no, no, we don't have enough. But you just go out there on the front line anyway. Oh, you're dying. Well, that's, you know, you want to be a nurse. Don't come to me. You wanted to be a nurse. I didn't want to be a nurse. I'm not a nurse. You know, let the governors take care of it. Oh, but if it's a war, I'll take care of it. See, there's a rant. There, you, <laughs> which is why I, I told you to rant. So I did have a question for you because I know the last time we talked. Yeah. We talked about your art. And yeah. I see a bunch of your art behind you. Uh, they're really, oh, yeah. they're, but I said there's that art one somewhere else. And that one. Yeah, there's also art. Oh, and, that, and this one. And that one. <laughs> see that? I'm wearing, I'm, I'm wearing that. He's wearing wearable art. <laughs> Where, wearable, it's wearable art. You can send away for this pretty, pretty cool. 42, I have 42 paintings like that and like that uh, on my website, uh, therealarryhankin.com. So go to therealarryhankin.com and you see 42 t-shirts that you can have, just like this. And it matches, you see, it matches. I see, I love, it matches. I got a really good place. I got a good, really good place that matches the color because these are works of art. They That's are. Work, That's it's know, amazing. This is a work of art on your chest and you can do it on your back too. Awesome. So anyway, yeah, that's it. Um, it'll be soon. It's uh, going to be on um, T Public. T-E-E -E Public. One word, T Public. Uh -huh. um, if I give it, will you sign it for me? <laughs> um, yeah, just for you, but uh, I can't because the place that manufactures it Mm -hmm. and sends it to you is not the same place. It's in, it's in another state. It's in, uh, where is it? I think it's in New Jersey, is, is, is where they're made. So I, I can't get there. Yeah. Uh, but if you, if you, no, I can't do that. No. But yeah. yeah we'll talk can, off. We'll talk we'll off. Talk off. We'll, we'll talk, we'll talk off, off screen. We'll talk. Because we, uh, I got people. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you got people. No, I, they were trying to, we tried to do that. In other words, I, they get some signed ones. Mm -hmm. And we're still working on it. There is, there will be a way, I'm, I'm sure. But right now it's not feasible because of, you can't, um, you, you can't have, uh, there's a, there's, I'm learning all the jargon of the industry of t-shirts and selling. It's, um, of, uh, what is it called? It's a stock, not stock. You can't have stock. It's what do you call it? Uh, oh, uh, when they're, when they're doing the, yeah. When they're, they're, they're laying when them you, out. When you have it stored in your house. Yeah. Well, you know, what is that stuff called? I know it's, it's merchandise, Yeah. but it's, it's also called something you don't want to have. Um, I don't know, but anyway, merch, 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 merch is what merchandise is called now. So yeah. You can't have stocks of merch in your house. Oh, okay. okay? So that's why I'm oh. saying, but th there's places where you can, you can do it. But anyway, that's the real Larry .com. Yeah. I'm excited because I think, you know, you're so talented. You have so many avenues. I, 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 when you were talking though, I did have to say something for me when you said, well, I'm not sure if everybody's the same way. If somebody would have, when you were with the whole thing with the, the director and Clint Eastwood, I would have been the same way. I'd be like, what do you mean? I'm going to show you. And I would do the same. I would have done the same thing you would have. And I would have been like dying when that quiet 
walking. I was just, oh, I could man. actually feel myself in that position. It's like, I'm going to drop the mic. And then I'm like, oh yeah, my yeah. gosh. <laughs> no, I got to pay the consequences. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. And, and, then, and then my go-to consequence is, okay, I'm fired. You know, yeah. just cool it, Larry. Don't, oh my God, I'm going to get fired. Just cool it. I don't need this. I will because I was I've been homeless. I have taken an anger at my situation, at my own situation of being poor and living in a uh, my, my my car, my VW bus. All the money I had was two cents. I, I went in my pocket. Yeah, it's just I, I, in a way. I'm very glad that I hit that point because I, uh, I mean, you, you don't want to go there, but once you're there, okay, here's a, this is a teaching point right here, Larry. Okay. You're, you're homeless. You're living in your car and you got two cents. What's your next move, Larry? <laughs> I just flung the two cents as far away from me as I could. I just, bam it. Okay, now I'm really free. Cool. It just send me out. Just okay. All right, now I have nothing. All right, except the car. You know, to to live in. Um, now, that moment of flinging two cents and you have nothing, man. No bank account. You know, I don't even know. You know where I'm going to get my next gas from to move my car, or they tow it away. I going to move the car. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but they won't <laughs> let me live in the parking. Yeah, sure. I'll store it here. Let me live in it. No. Doesn't work that so, way. So, uh, you know, and I got a job. I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, the next about half an hour, and I think, okay, now, now, Larry, think about the future. That was that was cool. That was a cool move. That was a uh, that was an alpha move, uh, and uh, it showed you know, the universe exactly where you're at, Larry. You know, you showed the universe. <laughs> I'll show you. <laughs> Two cents? Two cents? I don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, then you, the, the senses come back. Okay, I got a job. So, yeah, and then, then I went back to improvising and I got a job in improvising. But, yeah, it's just... Uh, in the moment, in the moment, it feels, it feels good. And the fact that I got out of it and I'm sitting here talking to you means that I'm not totally nutso. That, you know, at some point I, I do see the light. Um, and, and less and less, you know, as you get older and older, you, you, the reality starts to creep in to your paradigm. You know, oh, wait a minute, there's a future. Oh, wow, you know. And the future ends. Oh wow, that's that's interesting. You know, you know. Oh, I got to pay the rent. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but you know, every once in a while, you get this sense of, I don't care. The, the like when I was cleaning duckboards and I turned down going to General Motors for a hundred thousand dollars a year, kind of like starter. That's uh, a lot of money. That's a lot of money today, but that's a lot of money then. Uh, yeah, it was probably maybe. $75,000 back then, but it was a lot of money. And I'm here, I'm cleaning duckboards, and I've got a side of bacon stuck. It, it wasn't in my front, it was in my back, <laughs> flat in my back. So All I, I could think was bacon in the front. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, and, and 
vegetables, you know, canned vegetables in, in the pockets, w waiting by the front door. And I always wait by the front door at six o'clock, like 10 minutes to six, I would start, I'm, I'm finished, get by the door because I didn't want him to see me, uh, you know, something sticking out. So I'd wait by the door and, he, and they locked it from the outside. So I couldn't leave. Mm -hmm. I had to wait for the chef to come in at six in the morning. And he would, he would unlock the door and I'd be waiting by the door and he'd open the door and he'd come in and I'd just go, uh, hey, Mac, how you sad? Bye. And I just disappeared. So, but right before the 10 minutes, I was totally free, you know? I, you know, I, I was, this is cool. I'm, I'm okay where I am, you know? If, if worse comes to worse, worst case scenario, Carl will pay the rent this month. And it was really cheap, yeah. Well, yeah. well, that's good. It's good to have, to have a backup have a friend, yeah, a backup plan. Yeah, you have to have backup somebody, but uh, yeah. So I mean, as long, as long as you have somebody to pay the rent, you know, that was that was cool. But you know, then I would start doing Monday nights, and you would pass the hat ten bucks. I was chipping something. The, the shortest job I ever had in my life was um, three and a half hours. And uh, yeah, when I when I quit the uh, the, the bar, and I was just going to Monday nights and, you know, I'm sometimes getting, you know, five or $10 or a dollar from the hat. Um, I, I signed up for something that looks something in the paper, something easy, something I could just do. And it was like a uh, uh, counter, you know, counting things, counting uh, sent ins, uh, you know, those uh, magazine things, those things that fall out. Mm -hmm. Those pieces of paper, those ads. Yeah. I had to count those. Yeah, it was in the New Yorker. Uh, uh, Revlon had a lipstick, a new lipstick. And they put an insert into New Yorker, uh, an insert of which color do you prefer? And they had like three colors, four colors, different reds. And you check and then you send it in. And this was the little office. It's like a little apartment, but it was an office. And there was one little room and all these little fill out, you know, lipstick things, which looks like stacked. It was about, you know, over a thousand of them just stacked, stacked on, on, on desks. And there was a chair in front of one of the desks. And they said, go in there. And they gave me a little book and they said, count how many reds, how many votes for this red of the four reds, you know? So you put it down, you know, three. So I did that for three and a half hours. I just sat there checking. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I just, I, I can't. So this lady comes in. She says, I, I have to get out of here. There's some, some way. And there were, there were nice little old ladies who ran the place. And I really didn't want to insult them. So, you know, three and a half hours. Then she comes in. She says, why don't you, why don't you, you're a very nice little lady. Why don't you take lunch now? You know, we're all going to lunch. So why don't you go take lunch? And uh, just be back, uh, you know, in about an hour. Okay. Okay, fine. Okay, bye. Bye, Larry. Oh, he's such a nice boy. He's such a nice boy. So I go downstairs and I say, I can't go back there. I, I cannot go back there and do that. And I didn't want to insult these ladies by saying I quit. I don't want to just disappear. I felt obligated to go back. I just didn't want to disappear. Because I wanted the money from the three and a half hours. Of I was getting paid by the hour. And if I, if I disappeared, oh, so that's what I did. I disappeared. I didn't go back. 
But about a, two or three weeks later, I was needing money again. And I decided I worked three and a half hours. I want the money back. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't figure out how to get it back until I got a brainstorm. Carl <clears throat> had been bringing home dinner to me because he goes to these movies and he, review, and he re reviews these movies. And before you go in, even though he was just neighborhood papers that he was reviewing for, very small little things, uh, you know, like the West Fourth Union. Uh, it would be, but he was reviewing with all the majors, the New York Times and the, the Post and the whatever, and, and then Village Voice. So he would go and they would also a little wine before you go in to review the movie and some cold shrimp, you know, those bowls of cold oh, shrimp. Yeah. You know, the, shrimp cocktails. You know, shrimp cocktails, you know, but just a bowl of the shrimp, you know, on ice. So what he would be doing when we'd go there in the evening, review a movie in the evening, was he would take a handful of shrimp, big handful of shrimp, and he'd put it, they had linen napkins there, not paper napkins, linen napkins. This is in the 60s. And he would put it in a linen napkin, he would wrap it up, and he would put it in his pocket, and he would take it home, and that was my dinner. So he'd do this every, like every two or three days, he'd have a, a, a nighttime review, shrimp, I ate the shrimp. But after about three months, he had to stop doing that because his suits were smelling of fish. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> so was this like yeah. the inspiration for Jaws, right? <laughs> for, for what? Jaws. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This he is calls the that the fish movie. Yeah. Prequel. This is the prequel. <laughs> the prequel. Uh, but, uh, but I had a lot of linen napkins when I quit. I didn't go back to the Revlon lipstick count. So there was a lot of, cause I was saving them for some reason, I don't know, to prove a point or whatever, but, but they were all over the place. I was just hanging, I would wash them out and hang them, you know, just water, rinse them out and hang them. But they were all over the place. I just want to see how many linen napkins and if I could ever use them for a prop and a, or whatever. So I took a linen napkin um, and uh, what, did I, what did I do with the linen? I, I lost the track of, of what the fuck I was talking about. Getting your um, money, your brainstorm. Yeah, my brainstorm, right. So well, I, want, I want to go back. So what I did was I took the linen napkin. I took two linen napkins, maybe three, I don't know. But I tied them together. So I had a long thing. And I made a sling for my arm. And I put my arm in a sling. And I went back and I said, you know, and they go, oh my God, look who's here, Larry. What happened to you? You're so worried. You know, where do you go? Two weeks ago, you just went for lunch and you, you never came back. You disappeared. We were so worried. You know, the little old ladies, they, you know, and we were talking about it. Oh, what happened? Well, I went down for lunch and I was crossing the street. I was hit by a car. And I was in, I've been in the hospital. I broke my arm. So I'm, I'm healing now, but I could sure use that money. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, you know, then it paid me in cash. You know, I think what was it was $2, $10. I, God knows how much, you know, it was. And she counted it out in cash. I go, oh, thank you very much. And no, listen, when your arm is back, you know, because it was my left arm and I write with my left arm. It was, so it was this arm, actually. It was, you know, so I write with this, I can't. Oh, well, when you're healed, no, we'd love to have you back. You know, the job is always open. You bet it's always open. It's, people are banging down the doors to do this job. <laughs> but we, you come back, you got it. You're first in line. <laughs> you're a favorite. So, yeah. 
So the things that you're driven, that I've been driven to do through my own, you know, oh, well, this will fix everything. This will make me a rich man. Uh, can I have my, you know, $15? I, I need it for, I broke my arm. But it worked. It worked. It worked. That's the important thing. You know, I think it's just so, it's so great because, you know, what you've done is you've taken, you know, you use your imagination, you use what you have in front of you, and, and you created something. Yeah, right. Every time. It was your first acting the, 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 job. Well, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but the question then becomes <laughs> yes, Larry, but why were you in that situation in the first place? Why did you have to, you know, get the shrimp napkins into, a, uh, you know, a sling to lie about breaking your arms to these little old ladies who just cared for you so much? You know, it's a life. You it's didn't want life. to hurt their That's feelings. A, you didn't want, I didn't want to, I, I sincerely, hey, I was sincere. Yeah. Hey, I remember that. I was sincere. Okay. So you can, so back off, just back off. <laughs> I think you're great. I do. I really do. <laughs> because it's, I could see that I, I see. Here's the thing. Like for me, I you know I think it's why we we can kind of like hit it off pretty quick. Um, I I do the same thing. I try to like I find myself getting into more trouble trying to be helpful, and then you end up finding yourself having to come up with something to fix that what you've done. Like when my right. in laws my in laws went out of town. And they like, oh, can you watch my finches? My mother-in-law had all these finches, right? And, and there's little teeny finches, finches, yeah. like little teeny birds, right? So she's like, just feed them, and then just go in a couple times a week, and just. And so I, I thought I was doing the right thing. So I go in the one day, and I fed them, and then I go in a couple days later, and I'm like, wow, there's like a lot of big feathers these finches have. And then I realized that most of them had gone belly up. I killed them. I don't know know what I did. To kill oh, wow. accidentally yeah. and so then i was like at the i was finding myself i felt like like i love lucy you know i felt like i was at i was at the oh, store man. trying to figure out how to replace like i have a dead finch in my hand trying to figure out which one looks like that finch and then oh, when i realized that my mother-in-law's hobby was very expensive I, and i couldn't afford to to replace one oh, finch replace it right so i i mean but i've been in the exact same situation as you only i was what was your, your mother mother-in-law what your mother-in-law Mother-in-law. I was the mother-in-law in the, in, in the case. Uh, there's a, a very famous guy in, in, in comedy lore, uh, in, in the 60s comedy lore, named John, John Brent. He was a brilliant, brilliant guy. He was a drug addict, but he was just a kind... It, the world is a better place for having John Brent in it. He was a poet, and he wrote great, funny satires of everything. And he was uh, in my uh, company, in the committee. Uh, I worked with him. So he was a dear friend. And uh, like, he would come over to the house and just sit and watch me do something. You know, hi, Larry. You know, I don't, don't bother. You know, I'll just sit here. Just, uh, just passing by. Him. So I'm hammering. So I was building a, a bookcase. You know, and I hit my thumb. Bam! And he just, he was on the couch reading something. You know, and I go, bam! And he just started to giggle, you know. So in my pain, I got really, I, what the fuck are you laughing at, man? You know, that's, ow, ow. And I go, what are you laughing at? And he goes, Larry, very calmly, he just kind of just put the magazine down a little, you know, he just goes like this. He says, uh, pain teaches, Larry. What have you learned? 
he goes back to this. Yeah, cool, John, good old John. Anyway, so a couple of days, weeks, months later, I always remember that. What paintings were he, um, he says, hey, Larry, I've been evicted. You know, he's spending all his money on drugs and stuff. But he, he never did it in front of people. He was never like sloppy drunk. Or he's, he just was private. Yeah. You know, you, you, so this you is the can't worst like private hell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he was, his mother was a junkie, so she turned him on. You know, I mean, people's got stories, man. You don't just, you know, you're not born a junkie. So anyway, but he was a dear guy. Anyway, he says, I need a place to stay. So I said, wow, I'm going on the road. I'm taking the time off from the committee, I'm taking two weeks off. I'm going to do my stand up in Washington, DC. So you can, why don't you live in my house? You can stay in for two weeks, I'll be gone. Just take care of my fish. I, I was big on fish, you know, these exotic fishes. I had a big tank and all the paraphernalia and the air mm -hmm. tank, you know, on the feeding. A beautiful little tank, loved it. Favorite fish and everything. I said, just feed the fish. That's all you have to do and uh, stay out of my closet, okay? Uh, because sometimes you like to borrow a shirt or something. Yeah, and then you never get it back? Well, I'd have to clean it or, you know, yeah, yeah you never get it back or he rips it or he yeah. gets something on it that won't come out. Uh, because when, when he, if he get, get, gets high, sometimes you, you nod and you spill stuff on you. Now that I'm thinking of it and talking to you, because I've never mentioned this before, why did I trust a junkie in my house for two weeks? See, that's what I'm talking about. I just discovered that just now. Yeah. He was a junkie. You knew he was a junkie. He, he said, could, hey, live in my house for two weeks. He could have sold everything. Well, yeah, he could have told me. He could have sold everything. <laughs> so um, I come back two weeks later, and I, I look over, and the fish tank is all muddy, and there's no fish in it. Good job. I, I went ballistics. John, what the fuck did you do, man? No, I told you. I said, the only thing you have to do, man, is stay out of my closet and feed the fish. What, what did you do, man? No, I didn't do anything, man. I was just feeding them. So why is it dead? Why is it muddy like that? He said, well, uh, I don't know, a couple of days after you left, one of the fish died. So I went to the store. There was toys all over the bottom. The little toys like you get in a Cracker Jack or something. Oh, little, yeah. Little yeah. plastic toys, little bicycles, little statues. They weren't from Cracker Jack, but it was like that, small things. You get in a five and ten. Mm -hmm. There aren't any five and tens anymore. Little thing. All littered on the bottom. He said, so the fish died. So I thought the other fish would be sad. So I went out and bought him a toy, and I just dropped them in. So as each fish died, and I go, so after each fish died, you went out and bought him a toy and you dropped it in the tank. So I, I was, you know, going in into the tank and pulling out these toys as we're having this conversation. And I'm saying, uh, see, here's the thing, John, these are plastic toys and plastics are made out of a, a plastic that exudes a gas that's poisonous to fish. Yeah. See, so you, you are the one killing the fish. You were executing them day by day. In. Yeah. Day by day. See, so, and I'm very calm, I'm very calm because there's no sense in getting mad to somebody who is a junkie and you let them stay in their house. Why? The stupidity is on the guy who's getting mad. Yeah. You know, I'm being stupid if I got mad. He was just being a junkie. He, he was being fine. He was being he a was just, you know, Yeah, it's just like, you know, the old, uh, the, the scorpion and the frog, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, hey, I'm a scorpion. What do you want? What do you want? Okay, so, so, so I'm just about calming down and think, all right, sorry, I got to clean it out. I let him in here. He's done a fish. And they said, and the other. And I go, and I, oh, I open the door. No, no, I look down at his feet. Does he have his shoes on? My, he, he's wearing my boots. I told, and I go, you wear, and he said, did you, so I didn't even go in the closet. I, I said to him, I, it's like an instinct, or maybe I'd seen it, but it was subconscious. I seen, okay, so you killed my fish. Did you go in my closet? Were you wearing my clothes? Just, no, man, no. That's the one thing you told me, not to go in and wear any clothes. I looked at you, wearing my boots, man. <laughs> you're wearing my boots. And I go, what's the matter with that boot? I said, take them off, take them off right now. So he, he takes them, he slips them, they didn't even fit. His feet are much smaller than mine. So he just kicks them off. I go, where's the heel of this boot? You're walking around in my boots and there's no heel in this booth, so you so oh I didn't I didn't know. What do you mean you didn't know? You're walking around. So I'm, I'm yelling it. No. <laughs> walking around in my boots, one heel is missing, and you didn't notice that. He says, "Oh, okay. Well, you know, I, I uh, my 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 other shoes got wet. It was raining, and I, you know, so I just borrowed them for a second. How did you lose the? I did never never was answered how he lost the, the heel." And then some, I'm just, I kind of gave up with my anger because it's ridiculous, you know? And he's just making excuses. He's not getting excited. He's not saying he's gonna pay for it. He's not saying anything. He's just making junky excuses. So I stopped and I, okay, John, okay. That, that, that's it, fine, just leave. Is that my suit you're wearing? Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't. How long, how many days have you been wearing that suit? I can't even, that's my good suit, man. And it's filthy. He's oh. been sleeping in it. My suit, my suit. <laughs> so that's your Finch's thing. Yeah, but that's my mother-in-law my... was like, she wasn't so bad. I mean, she, I, I was like, I told her afterwards, I said, I was trying to buy you new finches. She goes, and this is the funny part with this. She's like, oh, I know my finches. And so if you would have brought replacements in, I would have yeah, known right. that. I'm like, they're yeah. flipping birds, but I don't know. Maybe. No, but, no. Uh, the, uh, people, they get they know their that stuff. kind of lady, you know, gets real close and talks to it. Yeah. Well, you know, hey, wait a minute. Your eyes are different. <laughs> <laughs> You're not looking at me the same way. <laughs> yeah, right. Wait a minute. This one can't talk. <laughs> this one is giving me sass. <laughs> <laughs> you never gave that to me before. This is not my bird. <laughs> Bam. Oh, yeah. She's going to call me up, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do with my birds? <laughs> yeah, what did you do with my birds? You gave him attitude. <laughs> oh, my gosh, Larry. I love hanging out with you. You know, and... Um, okay, well, that's cool. All right, we, I, I got I to gotta do other things now. I know, but... I, I got a podcast I got to do. <laughs> <laughs> you, I thought I was your podcast. Yeah, but yeah, well, this is... Yeah. This is one I'll of mail it to her. Oh, uh, one of one of many. So, but yeah, we were talking about this before, and I'd love to have you on as like a regular guest because I just okay, not too regular. I mean, like you know, maybe once uh, every two weeks or three. Yeah, I was gonna or say once like a month that, or so. You know. Yeah, yeah, you know, just the millennial. Uh, this is great. This is yeah. this is great, and I I wasn't doing anything. I, I, I now I've got to do something. 
I, I've got homework because I, I wrote a screenplay and now I've got to rewrite it. That yeah. is the curse of show business, rewriting something. I love creating stuff, but I don't like rewriting stuff. That's like, you know, okay, this is the practice interview. Now let's do the interview. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I don't, why? I always think that when I finish it, it's done. Not in Hollywood. Oh, I have a question for you. So just, just yeah. a quick thing, a couple of things real quick, because I know you're busy. So one thing, somebody has, you know, I kind of read this book and I loved the book and I, her and I, the author and I started becoming friends. And so I'm trying to help her one, try to get a screenplay written because it's, it really is one of those things that you can just see it as a movie wow. or a TV show. Yeah. I've never done this before. So I'm still kind of like new and I'm green about that. But the, so I'm learning all that stuff. But quick question for you. When you said when it's done, I'm, when you were a student, because I know you said you were a straight A student, I was too. Did you just turn in one, like when you had to do a paper, like a research paper, you didn't do drafts. You just did one and I'm done. No. One and done. Or did you do drafts? Um, well, because of my dyslexia and my ADHD, that, that kind of gives me a little curve that other people don't have. So, um, I never did drafts, but what I did was I cut and pasted. Um, I would write the whole thing out. Um, and, and then I would cut it up. And to this day, I do that. Uh, I cut it up and then I, um, reform it i'll say oh you know this opening sentence would go better down here or this paragraph would go and i rearrange it then when i rearranged it um that would be it and i just smooth out the n n new you know yeah things i would yeah. make the transitions i would cover the transitions of one thing to another uh, but, but no, not, not really. And I was in the industrial design department, so we had design. So we had to build whatever we designed. So they, they just, uh, marked your, uh, they marked your designs, your sketches, but sketches is easy. I love to draw. I'm, I'm a, I'm really an artist, you know, I mean, a painter, you know, and a, so really drawing is no, yeah. So, so that was not homework to me. That was, I, I love to draw. So drawing, but if I had to make a presentation, that that's how that's how I did it. But it was the work I had to build what I designed or what I was explaining, and when when you build, that was the big mark. The other stuff was just sidebar things, like you know you gotta you gotta explore more, or your your drawing technique is doesn't communicate well, so you have to be more specific with your drawings or this uh it's not a good selling point or you have to be a little sharper but the thing is it's got to work it's got to be great it's got to look beautiful it's got to be engineering it's got to blah 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 and that's pass or fail the other stuff you you they looked at and marked but uh so i never paid any attention to it about synop like for instance now i have to write synopsis i have to write a synopsis of the screenplay and I have to write a log line for the screenplay. And then I have to write uh, uh, maybe a three sentence paragraph about what it's about. So that's all writing. And that has to be, each one has to convince somebody to go to the next step. So it's very serious. And um, they teach now how to write log lines. There's a class for how to write log lines, one line. There's a class now in how to write a 
uh, a synopsis. So you have to learn these things where nobody's teaching you in college how to write a synopsis. They just say, write a synopsis and yeah. you know, it's go for broke. I know. So uh, I'm learning too. Cause like I'm trying to, and I want to do this right because I, I don't know. It feels good. Like when you see a project and it's like, I see it in my head and I can almost feel like I can transfer things onto paper, but I'm new at this. So I'm trying to like do it right. <laughs> Yeah, well, see, the, the thing with Hollywood is it's you're second guessing it. You're not designing it really for people like you, or you're not even designing for your fans. Like a, a lot of my fans are not like me. Mm -hmm. So they love Mr. Heckles and they love Breaking Bad, but they don't like my paintings, or they may not like my uh, film shorts. And the people who like my film shorts may, li may not like Mr. Heckles. So so when you present something to Hollywood, you're presenting it not to your fans or to the buying audience. You're presenting it to the guy who's buying things. Like, what are they buying? That's what that phrase means. What are they buying? The guy that I'm going to pitch to, now he's not the green light guy. There's, there's two people who you have to write for. There's three people you have to write for. You have to write for the guy who you're pitching to, the guy who's going to get it and read it, actually. And then you're writing it to the guy who, if he likes it, the guy he passes it on to, the green light guy. So, and then he's got to read it thinking, will this be good for the people who are going to buy it? So that's the conundrum of, you're writing for three different people uh not people th three different value systems yeah and and you gotta you know now hopefully what happens is as it just happened to me for the first time the guy said i wrote a screenplay the guy read the screenplay now he's got to pass it on to somebody so he says well you got to change the beginning oh man i i wrote the beginning anti-hollywood cliche beginning Mm -hmm. but he said, yeah, but I re really would like it. It would be much easier if you changed it. So I got to change it, but hope that, okay, so now I'll pass it on. But the guy who would pass it on, he may not like that change because I changed it according to what he thought, but he's not writing it. I'm writing it. So it's not even, it's going to be different than what he said, the middle guy. And then he's going to take it and, approve it or just hand it up to the next guy because they don't like to read things twice. So if he says, change the beginning, and I say, I changed the beginning like what you said. Okay, fine. He'll give it to the next guy. Now that's got to get passed by that guy and that guy's got to pass it. So it's really tough and I'm dyslexic. So what I write generally doesn't fit any of those categories. Well, but I at least you, oh, so, so to, to just, tell you what you need to know is find out what they're buying, what they are buying. Not what you like, not what they, if you want to sell it. Now there's another way to go and that's independent. It's longer, but you get your way, but then you gotta be, you gotta be you and yeah. you don't take crap from anybody because that's all they want to do is, as I want to say, I understand, you know, I, I didn't get the commission because I was pitching it to the wrong guy. And he just said, no, oh, you know, he said, you got to change it. And I said, 
how? And he, and he gave me a whole bunch of things that would just change the whole thing. And I said, oh, I get it. After he gives me all these notes. And I said, you get what? I said, I get what you're doing. And he goes, oh, what am I doing? He said, you're pissing on it. It's a territory thing. You want me to change it so that it's yours. So mm -hmm. that may not be sold by anybody else. But you change it so you like it. So you're going to sell it. But I can't sell what you told me to sell to anybody else because they're going to tell me what to change. So you're pissing on it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a you know, territory. Yeah. So he just kind of handed it back to me. He said, I don't think we have any more thing to, anything else to say to each other. And I said, you bet. You know, totally agree. You know, goodbye. I'm out of here. Thank you. You know, thank you for not making me wait. You know, uh, so yeah, I mean, you, you got to figure out what the game is they're playing and then just play it better than they do. See, I, here's how I play the game. I look at Hollywood like my parents. So if I want to get, you know, like, can I, mom, can I buy this t-shirt? No, it's got a dirty word on it. Okay, mom. Okay. You know, what can I buy? Well, how about this one? Yeah, but it's going to be winter. You're going to need something, you know, to cover it. Okay. Whatever, mom. You know, you put it on. That's Hollywood. And you just, so if you ever get mad or angry or frustrated, just think it's your parents. What do you do with your parents? Yeah. You go somewhere else. You go to somebody else. Because that guy who handed it back to me and I you know, and he's pissing on it. You know why he was making me change it to way his way? Because he had a mortgage. And he's trying to change it so that he can pay his mortgage because I want to sell it to people who I know will buy it and they will pay my mortgage. So that's, that, that's the downside, but and, and, you know, and that, that's where the rocks are when, when you're trying to beach your boat or dock your boat. There's, there's a, a reef over here and, and those reefs are mortgages and uh, I got a lot on my plate and uh, I'll read it over the weekend and uh, they're not, they're not buying this now. That's a big one. It uh -huh. gets, removes them totally from that. I got that last week. Hey, you got anything for Quibi? What's Quibi? You know, little, little 10 minute film shorts, you know? Oh yeah, I do. I, I actually do. I write a lot of them. So I send them about three or four. I don't hear from them, which is the answer. If you don't hear from them, that that's a no. They're, they're, they're chicken shit. Mm -hmm. You just don't hear from them. But I called them and I said, Hey, you, you know, you asked me for all this stuff. You asked me for all this stuff. Hey, do you have any stuff? I sent you the stuff. No answer. What's your answer? I want an answer because, uh, so he said, Oh, well, um, they're not buying those things now. I said, well, why don't you tell me that? Oh, well, okay. You know, if you send us some other stuff, we'll, we'll tell you that. No, I'm not going to send you some other stuff. Thank you very much. But so, I mean, you know, I got an attitude. I don't need, I don't, I don't need it. I'm much happier with my attitude. Well, what happens, like what happens in a couple of weeks when he comes with a sling on his arm and says, Oh, I didn't realize that I was so busy with my broken arm that I couldn't use your, your your shorts. I'm just. Oh yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> oh, exactly. that's okay. <laughs> exactly. No, I know. I would laugh. I I would get it. I would say, "Oh, cool." No, because that <laughs> that is as long as he tells me something, I understand and get. Yeah. That 
oh, so you couldn't read it or they're not buying stuff because they broke your arm. So, but that explains why, but no answer. That's, you know, uh, no, I can, I can get getting attitude that I've given other people. I'm, I'm fine with that. And also here's the other thing. I don't want to be right. I just want, the correct information as to what's going on. That's all. It's no big deal about, you know, when I write a screenplay with a partner, I'm not trying to be right. What works for the story? I want the story to be great. So, you know, he can either do this or that. And uh, we go, okay, no, you know, your idea works better. You know, now that we put it in, your idea works better. No, let's go with that, man. Um, I remember having an argument with uh, Michael Richards. Uh, be- way, we we were friends way before Seinfeld. He recommended me for Seinfeld to do Kramer uh, because we were up for the same parts all the time. He's tall, I'm tall, you know, we mm-hmm. kind of look like, and finally one day we were cast as brothers to rob a restaurant. Yeah, it was. I looked forward to it because I knew his work and he knew mine. We were looking forward to working together. You know, we were really up for it. Hey, you got the part. I got the part. We're brothers. Wow, that's really great. Okay, we'll see you, you know, on the set. So on the set, um, we had two days of shooting. And one of the days, we robbed the place. And that was kind of fun. We were working together. But then we were in, a, in an escape vehicle. We were in a truck, truck. It wasn't really a truck. It was just, you know, a green screen and mm-hmm. just a front seat. So we went to a sound stage. So beforehand, uh, we got there real early, about, I don't know, half hour early. So we were going to rehearse, you know, it was just a couple of lines talking about what we were going to do with the money. That was all. And so, but he had an idea of how it would be funnier. And he said, you know, so listen, so what we're doing, he says, no, no. So here's what you do. You do. Now, if there's, if there is a no, no in Hollywood, this is the no-no. You don't direct your other actor. I mean, people get crazy over that. That's that's like a rule. That's mm-hmm. like a rule that's so I mean it's not up there, but it's up there. And I've tried it once or twice. And they just, hey man, back off. You know, there's no argument, it's just back off. Okay. And that enough said. Got it. Um, so he's directing me. And now I've got the bug. Hey, hey, Michael. No, um, as a matter of fact, I think what we should do. So I started directing him. N- not in retaliation because I said, oh, we're, we're, we're throwing around ideas now. We're blue sky in it. You know, we're running it up the flagpole. Okay, fine. How about if we do it this? He goes, no, 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 no. So now we're arguing. Two really funny guys with two totally different ideas about what comedy is. He's over the top and I'm under. And we're arguing about a little scene that we're going to do in like maybe 10 minutes. We're arguing and he is really getting PO'd. I'm just arguing because I think it's, I'm not to be right because I think my idea is better than his. He's arguing now to be right, is what I sense. Because, well, I'm thinking, you know, if you had any sense, you would see your idea is not as funny as mine. I mean, that's where I'm going. Anyway, we're arguing, arguing, and finally, 
It's all right, forget it. Forget it. Not, we're not doing anything. So that's what we decided. We're not doing anything. We're not going to discuss this. We're not going to rehearse it. So when we did it for the director, the director just, as, as written, no direction, just do it. You know, so we did it. We did it. Fine. That was it. But he was really pissed about it. And he, he carried it. He wouldn't talk to me on the way out. He, after that, after we shot the scene, he was not my friend anymore. Oh. Now, he got over it, but he's crazy. I, I know Michael. He, he's totally nuts. Just like every other funny guy I know. They're all crazy. Not in the same way in any way. Everybody's got their own bag. But you, you, you get to know him after a while. And then you go, oh, wow, you're nuts, man. And then, he, you know, that's cool. That's cool. Even Larry David is nuts. Seinfeld is nuts. They're all, there's not one comedian I've ever met where I got to talk to him after a while where I saw, whoa, that's why you're funny. Cool. Yeah, all right. Um, either, either your parents beat you mercilessly or they, or they just gave you everything and you were the God's gift to homo sapiens uh, and stuff in between. But I don't think anybody's funny who, who didn't have a traumatic upbringing or somehow just got fucked over by life just for a second, but enough for it to scar. Just, to, just that little cut, you know, just to remind you. And that, that, alters your paradigm. You're just looking at it in a, in a little different way. They all have paradigms. I, I listen to, when I listen to stuff, you know, when I got time, like other people listen to music, I listen to stand-up comedians. So I, I've listened to all of them. You know, Bill Burr, amazing, you know, fucking guy. And he's not always right. He's not always funny. The guy's a genius and he's funny. He's not funny like I'm funny. I mean, he's angry, man. Sometimes his anger gets in front of his logic uh, or, or his comic's eye. But still where he took it, even though he's wrong, he's, it's, it's funny. I mean, I, and I don't, you know, it's just like any, any person that, that lifts me up, you know, that I'm a better person for just hearing that joke or that song. You know, I, I give you, you know, if you're a genius, I, I give you a, a, a wide berth. You can, you know, you can break the rules. You can fail. I think, I think geniuses and talent and pros, like football pros, sports pros, basketball pros, and geniuses, I think they fail more than any other homo sapien or any other animal. They, they understand failure. They, they really do. It's part of the game. It's part of the learning process. If you're not failing, you're not learning. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. You know. Oh, I agree. I agree immensely because, um, you know, I'm starting out and every time I go and get done, in fact, after we get done here, I'll ask you a couple of questions like, hey, what can I do different? Because I want to know, because like, you know, if you keep saying, like I was talking to somebody earlier, I said, if I'm practicing and I said five times five is 20, I'm going to constantly be doing five times five is 20. I'm right. You're not right. You know, but that's yeah, not right. the right answer. And so I think that's what happens. Like, I, you know, like you said, when you get to that point where it's like, well, I think I'm better than everybody else. And so therefore I can never be wrong. 
I think that's where you lose, like you said, your your independence. Well, you never can be wrong, but that's the wrong way to say it. I can never fail. Is, I can never is fail. More accurate, yeah. but but yeah. failure. But I can I I can never be wrong. But yeah. that's what's the challenge of of our uh, president right now. He won't allow himself to fail to be wrong. So therefore, he's not learning. Mm -hmm. So he's not picking up anything. There is a way to do the job. That, you know, that anybody can, if, if you, if you were president tomorrow, you would sit down and say, okay, how does this work? Just basics, the ABCs, you know, what can I do? What can I do? Who do I listen? Just the rules. And then you can go on from there and then you can become a dictator, you know, but uh, because the dictators, the successful dictators learned how to be a dictator. They learn by their mistakes. Oh, I see. I'm trying. They want me to be a president, but I want to be a dictator. But if you're in a presidential office and you're trying to be a dictator, there, there's a, there's a barrier there. You've got to learn. Then you got to learn both games and see where they meld. But he's just, I want to be a dictator. I don't care if this is a presidency. So he's for, he's, He's forcing, you know, he's forcing 10 pounds of shit into a five pound bag. It doesn't I mean, fit. It just won't fit. It doesn't fit. <laughs> it's just, oh. it, it, you're, yeah, 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 yeah. the presidency won't hold a dictator. It, it just, it's not built for it. So you're tripping over your own dick, <laughs> Mr. President. It's, yeah, it's, it's your big ego that's not fitting. It's not built for an ego. Dictators, you know, they it's been set up they for egos, you know. Me, I can take care of everything. You don't have to know crap. Moscow, Putin is very popular. But now that the coronavirus is hit in Moscow, he's not popular. But up until then, with all the bullshit and all the drunks and all the uh poor uh national, you know product and finances, he's still very popular because they believe in him. Because he's learned to disguise his dictatorship within a dictatorship so that he looks like a cool guy. But Trump can't hide anything. It's not, we didn't design it that way, thank God. I mean, he's still getting away with a lot of crap. But it's all out in the open. So eventually, you know, hopefully people just, I see. I mean, if you want to be a dictator, you, you got to change. But he's doing, I mean, that's what he's doing. He's slowly tearing down the barriers. I mean, like, what's his name? Uh, that that, that uh, army guy who just got excused, you know, dropped, all charges were dropped today or yesterday. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Was it, um, I'm referring to his name now, Flynn or something? Flynn, yeah, it's Flynn. Yeah, Flynn, he... Uh, I mean, that's amazing. You know, the, 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 the inspector general, you know, the, uh, he just said, okay, excuse him. And he's excused. I know that hopefully the judge will hold his line, but yeah. and then he destroys people. You know what I was reading the other day? Just, you know, some light reading. I was reading The Prince by Machiavelli. And I got to chapter 15. 
And if you read chapter 15, I'm positive it's chapter 15. It's not laying around here anymore. I put it down. I think I lent it to somebody. But it's chapter 15. In chapter 15, if you read that, he lists 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 ways to run a dictatorship. And if you read it, it's exactly what Trump's doing. Machiavelli, 15th century, probably 16th century. Yeah, 16th century. 15, I don't know, 1544, 1592, I don't know. I think it was around the time of Columbus. He laid out all the rules in the prince and, and uh, Trump is following them. Exactly, you know, it's really weird. So I'm not gonna tell you what those 20 are. Read chapter 15 of the prince and you have our president pegged, exactly. So you see what he's trying to do. He's trying to put, yeah, he's trying to stuff 10 pounds into a five pound and the five and the ten pounds are on page uh, chapter fifteen. What you do is right there. I don't understand Homo yeah. sapiens. I don't understand Homo sapiens. Mm. I know. I bet d dodo birds at one time thought they were the Homo sapiens of the. Hey, we got this island knocked, man. Nobody can. We don't even have any enemies on this island. How do you like that? We don't even have to fly. A lot of them never learned to fly. They, they got too fat and too heavy. And then, oh, what are these two-legged things doing? Killing all of us because we can't fly and we can't run fast enough. And yeah. so they're stocking there. All the, all the sailors came and ate all the, they ate all the dodo birds. Yeah, that's what happened to the dodo birds. They were eaten by, um, by Homo sapiens. Yeah, I don't so, understand this. So we gotta make sure that we don't get, you know, where somebody's gonna eat us soon too. Like I said, we're gonna well, destroy we're ourselves. Us. We're destroying ourselves. Well, Walt Kelly said it in Pogo. Pogo said, you know, we have met the enemy and they are us. Mm -hmm. That was in uh, 1962, I believe. He said that. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, I gotta get out of here. I know you do. So thank you so much, Larry, and I will have you back on probably next month. And uh, okay. don't forget to just uh, for my fans, stay true and always seek the truth. And God bless.